Um, I hate to say this, but there's a mean feedback that's driving me it's, a it's, uh, it's a fridge. Oh, it's a fridge. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it drives us crazy too. <laughs> Pull it out. A silencer. You can buy a fridge silencer, like down at the uh, what? Uh, hardware store. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes me think of like that makes me think of like a guy standing next to the corner, like threatening the fridge, like shut the fuck up. <laughs> Come away with me in the night. Come away with me, and I will write you. Song. You know the song La Bohème? Mm-hmm. God, if I could work that song into every conversation, I would look for it. Um, uh, you know, do you know a little bit, like, do you know what it's about? Do you know what it talks about? Uh, well, maybe I don't know. What's the song? La Bohème by Charles, Charles Aznavour. Uh, it goes, uh, La Bohème, La Bohème, na, 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 na. Um, it's super rocky. Um, so that song is about, like, um, pretty much artists like living in uh, in Montmartre in in Paris back when uh you know like Toulouse-Lautrec kind of between the him and like Ernest Hemingway and like these you know these kind of this era where the golden era but also just like around the when the Moulin Rouge existed how it attracted like all these bohemians and all these outsiders and all these freaks and all. and um and uh so he talks about how beautiful Montmartre was. He talks, he like inserts, in one of the verses, he inserts a tiny little love story, you know, how he met this woman who used to pose uh, naked and how he paints and how sometimes you don't eat every day. Maybe you're starving, you know. Um, sometimes you exchange a painting for food. It's like the starving artist anthem. And um, pretty much since like maybe my mid-20s, uh, when, I, when I like had experienced Paris um, and actually lived very close to the Moulin Rouge, to um to now i've idealized this song like idealized it like this song has been my favorite song in the whole world and it took me a while to realize how much i was actually encompassing that song in that in the sense that i was like the starving artist you know like yeah I'm but like, that's a horrible life it I mean, is it, it's, it's totally then that's what i was like what am i doing like no i mean it's okay the, when you're young and yeah, you want to live yeah, a horrible no. life so you can have an adventure but you romance? adventures are horrible yeah. but <laughs> but you want to have them when you're young and then you get older and you're like yeah i, I want room service yeah. um, Comfort. But then you live la yeah. vie bohème, yeah. and so you, it makes a great story. You, and so it you can't afford story. room sure, service because you, you wasted. You your are youth. the room service. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you are the room service. No, but I see. Yeah, that's a, that was the thing. I was like, oh my god, and I was, and I realized that it was because I was like romanticizing this whole thing. But that whole story was actually just talk about community. But you don't have to and, romanticize. It is romantic. That's what romantic so means. Romantic. Um, and here, like, you know, there were horrible people. There were great people. There were, but almost everybody I met was interesting. I used to know a guy who, he was Native American. He was from Oklahoma. He, um, he was, he'd been very broken at one point by a horrible car crash. He'd been a Vietnam vet and that broke him in one way. And then he was in this car crash and his, his, he was driving a van, I think it was, and I think he was just drunk driving home one night. 
and drove over the edge of a bridge and the river wasn't flooding it. it oh god. Swept his van up under the bridge so nobody could see. Oh Jesus Christ. And he was pinned inside. Oh my and god. And he spent a couple of days there. And at one point oh, he, he a couple of days? Yeah, yeah, and he he like like in point, his car pinned. Yeah. <gasps> And he reaches out and he manages to get hold of a tire and he pulls the tire oh up and he builds a little fire on the tire what? and he's and he sends it floating out into the stream oh to send a God. signal up a smoke signal which is great for a Native American I suppose and it gets almost to the edge of the bridge and it goes under and it, oh. it kills the thing and it oh. just happened that his, that the bridge inspection which happens once a year. Happened no. right then, and they came and they found him under the bridge. And so he would walk around here, and he was he walked with this side to side sort of weird gait. And um, um, he was but one of my not one of my friends at all. Like we didn't like each other at all. But he was this interesting character and his story. I knew his story, and people wow. have stories. And you know, if you're yeah. a storyteller, then. It's great to meet those people. How do you feel about what's going on right now in the United States in regards to um, the kids? I think what they're doing is great. I think that the school walkout was a great thing. I think that anything that sh- that allows some sort of movement on this issue is a good thing. In general, there's a sort of stridency to, uh, a sort of disturbing stridency to a lot of young people these days that um, isn't very reasoned or very considered. And I guess that's always been the way with young people to one degree or another. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, but with the, but when it comes to this, you know, when it's on my side, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> when it's not on my side, not as much. And, uh, and then also my side, I'm finding hard to recognize anymore in a lot of ways. What do you mean by your side? I mean the side that says, I mean the side of gay people. The side of outsiders, the side of people who are bullied, people who are oppressed, people who are minorities, people who are imprisoned, people who are disenfranchised in whatever way. Um, I don't think that the solution to being culturally disenfranchised is to say, here's a list of words that you're not allowed to say. Here's a list of opinions that you're not allowed to yeah, have. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm, Here's mm-hmm. the rules for the conversation we mm-hmm. can have. And if you cross over into the place where this rule is broken, then suddenly you're a disposable person mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you don't think right. And if you don't think right, if you commit thought crime, then you'll be banished to outer darkness. Totally. And there's a hierarchy within that too. So that like, if you're oppressed but not as oppressed as the other person. Mm-hmm. And also there's a scramble to grab hold of oppression. So that now all the straight people I know are queer all of a sudden because <laughs> queer doesn't really mean anything. And so mm. you can be queer and be straight. Mm. And it's like, well, you know, you're not going to lose your job for, um, and you're not going to be denied housing and you're not going to be kicked out of your family unless you decide. And it's very complicated because I, I'm going to say, Unless you decide to make a big deal out of the fact that you like a good spanking every once in a while. (laughs) But then telling people not to talk about their sexuality and not to talk about who they are in that way is the way that gay people and trans people and um, uh, people with largely non-accepted sexualities have always been oppressed is to try to make us invisible. 
And so I don't want to say you sh- if you don't talk about it, then it won't be a problem because that's always what the reactionary says. My dad always kept a gun next to him when he was sitting on the front porch because he had a koi pond and the uh, cranes and the ducks and everything else would come up and try to eat his koi. So he would just shoot the the ducks? I don't know that he ever actually hit one, but he would fire and they would fly away at least. Okay. And also squirrels. um, uh, Okay. There were a lot of squirrels where I was from. And Uh squirrels go into your attic and chew all the insulation off of your... You go wiring, there with the shock. And then they burn your house to the ground because when all the insulation has gone off of your wires, your house burns to the ground. And so the squirrels burn the house to the ground? By chewing all the insulation Jesus off Christ, of your is, wires. This story is just amazing. Um, and so you have to shoot them. Well, you don't necessarily have to, but they're just squirrels. It's like if you have had um, beef, chicken, or pork in the last, um, uh, say, Forty-eight hours. There's not a lot of room to be super judgmental about shooting a squirrel that's trying I'm, I'm, to burn down your home. <laughs> I'm not being judgmental about it. I just that's never something that I've heard before. Like I've heard so many reasons to go. This is just like I'm. I'm like this is like grade A story material right here. I'm like, talking just, about defending. I can't home. even judge it. This is so expensive. <laughs> terrorists exactly um you know i'm like i'm i, I can't has even anybody judge checked I'm like, I, this is the, phenomenal the, has anybody checked the world trade center for like squirrel prints? oh my god <laughs> i mean oh who knows my god no um, oh my god so anyway uh, he always had a gun there on the porch and um there's a story that i think he probably told it but it, it got told about him like a lot of his stories about um there's always when you live in the south in the rural south there's always some preacher pulling up in front of your house really that's uh, actually true too the preacher comes to check up on you to make sure or or the sheriff somebody from no that's a totally different thing oh okay um someone from church trying to make sure that you're not like no no they they come to invite you to church oh okay so it's not like to make sure you're not like coveting the neighbor's wife or something like that (laughs) no no no, no. How would you how would you uh, even approach that? But it's just like, you know, we we have a fellowship meeting and we would love to see oh, okay. you show up and blah blah. It's so sweet. Okay. And, that doesn't uh, sound that bad. Uh, no, no, not bad at all. Do they leave you alone if you don't? Go? <laughs> I'm really missing the sarcasm, you guys. Um, um do, you, do they leave you alone so, if you don't go? Hmm? Do they leave you alone? They if you do don't if you go? pull a gun on them. Oh, okay. So that's where that was going. Sorry, did I pull the punchline too? They go, they go to the. They go back to church and say, um, uh, "Well, you know, some of our neighbors are not very uh, conducive to the church spirit, the Holy Spirit." This is fascinating to um, me. Like I have but, no reference. Uh, yeah, this the story is that the preacher pulls up, he gets out of the church, and says, "Mr. Dykes, <laughs> I, I uh, uh, am from the the." to remember i think it 
might have been the Baptist church. I'd like to say it was the Baptist church, but it could have been some of the Pentecostals or some of them people. All right. But um, uh, uh, just down the road, we'd, we'd, we'd really like to invite you. And he got that far, and Pop reaches down and pulls <laughs> up his gun, and he just puts it across his lap. He doesn't point at him or anything. He puts it across his lap and says, just keep driving. Wow. And the guy gets back into his car, and he says, Thank you very much, Mr. Dykes, and gets back in. But when somebody shows up at your door and uses your name and you don't know their name, and they're, it's, a, it's like there's a certain uh, okay. element of sort of power differential. And okay. like a shotgun can really straighten out the power sure. differential. And you don't even have to make okay. that noise, you know, the yeah. noise. Like that's the one that really straightens out all the power differentials. Yeah. And I'm not here to, to be a big advocate for guns because I'm not a big advocate for guns. Okay. But I own guns and I'm not. PSA, I do PSA. believe that. Um, no, but it's still like the culture that you came from, though. And like you see yeah, it from exactly. like a whole. Yeah, then that's totally. And I only own guns I... because he's dead. Okay. And so I got some of his guns. Not right. all of his guns, but I got some of his guns. Okay. I'm so intimidated by guns. The only, the time, that the closest that I've ever come to a gun. I love this. It's like the closest. Um, this is how far removed I am from them. Um, was actually in a really strange place. I was in Dominican Republic in the border with Haiti. See, that's a totally different gun experience. And this guy, no, 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 but wait, it was actually, and we were just, we, it wasn't as, it wasn't, it's probably not as bad as like, we were just, that's where we were. And we knew we were like talking to someone, like we went to go visit someone who, was in the military and therefore there were just military people around us you know it wasn't like we were it was completely comfortable it was like the military people were our friends not really our friends directly but like they were it was just completely informal and everything was fine and this guy's like talking to me and i'm like looking at his gun like oh my god it's an actual gun. and i'm like well, i don't know <clears throat> early 20s and like i'm oh, like where are you from where are you from? I'm I'm mixed. I'm I'm born in Colombia. Uh, I was my childhood was in Dominican Republic, mm -hmm. um, but I've lived a big part in the United States. Some in France, some here. Like I was maybe just like a suburbs kid. It just wasn't like my you know, and um, and so anyway, so I'm like so I'm in this thing, and this guy just like he's like sees that I'm looking at his gun, and he just like pulls it out, and he's like you want to hold it, and I just like I felt like like the power emanating from this like heavy like it just he was carrying it like it was nothing like it didn't weigh but to me i felt like i was gonna grab it and it was gonna like fall to the ground like it was gonna be so super heavy i didn't even want to touch it i was like no i'm okay thank you i did um, not that's if you had actually grabbed that gun didn't it would have been super it. heavy they are super heavy but are also really? uh that's very sexual sorry is uh, it really yeah, oh yeah <laughs> but uh <laughs> i didn't um, mean to <laughs> The, but maybe you're just maybe you just like guns. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe I'm, I have some yeah, hidden yeah, gun fetish. I do, maybe I should explore that. <laughs> I love but it. the thing is that coming from um, from that culture, it's like you know, it's just part of the culture. It's like you know, my grandfather had a gun. He wasn't a scary guy. My great grandfather, yeah, he had a gun. I actually, well, that's a long story. I won't tell that one. But uh, my great grandfather had at least one gun. I don't um, think I don't think I'm like the best person to be talking about guns because my ex my view is like the complete other way, you know, because I haven't experienced them. I haven't. But I also don't know that they should be so normal and like just kind of like. Well, part here's of the an thing. everyday life. The problem is that they're not normal and the scary people, the creepy people, the like gun people. They're not normal for them. They define their being. 
lot of ways. And where I come from when I was growing up, like I got a gun when I was, I think I was about 12, maybe 13 when I got a shotgun. And it was like, it was just kind of normal. And it never occurred to me to shoot a person with it. It never occurred to me that it was something to shoot people with. I had like gun. But I didn't have it, official well, what's gun it about training. Then? But, what's what's it about then? The, the gun. Oh, I went hunting, have... and I, uh, you know, that was for hunting, and it was like part. Of, I also had a fishing rod. I also had a little boat that I would go out and paddle around and so then, run a trot line in the morning, and it was part of rural life. But it's also part of rural life to like have it hanging out with you in the in the porch, and like uh, show well it. for my crazy ass dad, it yeah. Was, but most people know. There wasn't, you don't think there was maybe like a subculture of crazy ass dads that did that? They were like, here's the good. Well, but the thing is, my dad wasn't hanging out with it to, he just hated preachers. So he happened to oh. have it on hand when a preacher showed up. I mean, <laughs> so sad. his grandfather was a preacher and he, oh, uh, okay. Uh, to, you know, he had all of that. Yeah. As uh, soon as you put someone in your family, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. I get it. Yeah. So, Lee Allen was this guy. Oh, Lee remember. Allen, right. Oh, my yeah. God, I totally Back around to, to yeah. Lee Allen. Yeah. Um, and Lee had been a lot of things uh, in his life. And he and few of them were very savory. He came down here, and he was living on some kind of retirement, living pretty poor. Uh, so it was probably just Social Security. I'm not sure. And I met him, I guess, through my friend. And I, I'm not going to say the names of too many people who are still alive because it's like I don't know who hears these things and I don't want to be a gossip in that way. I okay. want to be a storyteller, not a gossip. We support that. We support that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Lee told me tons and tons of stories. And I kept going back because he was a great storyteller. He was Southern. He was from Mobile. Spent a lot of times in New Orleans, and I hadn't I hadn't lived in New Orleans at that point. I've been through, I'd looked for apartments and stuff, but I just never really stuck there. And um, he told stories about when uh, he was there when um, Louis Armstrong came back and was king of Zulus one year, and he told what? stories about uh, uh, he had a great story called uh, the cheapest trick I ever had. He called anybody he slept with. It was a trick, except oh. for Howard, who was his boyfriend. Right. And um, the cheapest trick I ever had. Um, I'll just give the sort of the, the the gist of it, which was seventeen cents and a slice of chocolate birthday cake. Oh. <laughs> but uh, um, he told this story about back when he was uh, he was working in the in the freak show, and I think that at one point he ran the freak show, but. This was back when he was working in the freak show, uh, the sideshow at the carnival. And Howard, who was his uh, boyfriend, and uh, I, I do I, I do it best when I tell it like he told it. Okay, go. So, so Howard was working out front, and Howard was wearing just the cutest little outfit. It was like a, it was a tuxedo, but it was covered all over with sequins, and he just looked adorable in this outfit. Mm. And I was inside working the half and half. And I don't know if you've been around carnivals very much. Mm. And I said, um, no, no, I haven't been around mm -hmm. carnivals no. very much. No. He said, well, here's how the half and half worked. Mm. I had this little clip. And half of the clip went right up my ass. And the other half made this crease underneath my balls. And I would take 
a bit of ladies' lipstick, and I would run it along that little crease so that it would make these little this little pink mark along the edge of the crease. And I would wear this, oh, just a campiest little outfit. And it was, on the top, it was half gentleman's suit and half ladies' dress. And down below, it was a ladies' dress that fell just below the knee. And I'd wear nothing at all underneath it. And I would have one side of my hair all kind of poofed out Mm -hmm. because, you know, this was the 1940s and women wear their wore their hair out in a, a sort of bouffant mm. curl. And on the other ha- half, I would have it all slicked down <laughs> because uh, a gentleman would put Vaseline in the hair mm. back then and keep it slicked down. Mm. And I would put makeup on one half of my face, and I was a half and half. Oh, so Howard is the ballet. He's the ballet who? He's out on the midway, and he's calling people in, and he's saying, ladies and gentlemen, come and see the freak that nature has created. Oh. Look and see God's mistake right here. Half man and half woman. Now, this was the 1940s, and people had never seen a naked person before. And here they were getting two for the price of one. Half man and half woman. And I was inside waiting for him. And how it fills up the bullpen on the outside. And then he sends them on in. Well, he sends them in, and there's this one broad. And she's down front, and I can tell she's had some drinks. And she starts in smart-assing from the very beginning. And she's saying, well, I'm not so sure about this. And I'm so I start in with my spiel. And I say, ladies and gentlemen, I am not here to present myself to you as some sort of freak. Mm. I am not here to attract your horror or your laughter. I am here in the name of science. And in the name of humanity, Mm. so that you can see that people who are afflicted in the way that I am afflicted are human beings too. And so that you can come to understand us better Mm. as human beings. Well, this broad down front seems very skeptical. And she keeps talking in a loud voice to the uh, gentleman next to her. And so I, I, I go on and I say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm now going to reveal to you what happened to me at birth. And I hope that you can all maintain decorum and dignity as is fitting to my personal decorum and dignity. And so I lift up the dress and I show them my junk and it's all hanging down there and everybody's kind of... And so I, I was just fine with that. And then I lift up my balls and I show that little crease right along underneath there. And this lady down front says, bullshit. And I say, excuse me, madam. And she says, bullshit. And I say, I assure you, madam, that my affliction is not bullshit. And she says, I am a pediatric nurse. And I can tell you that I have worked in this field for over 15 years and that no one is born with a full set of both male and female genitalia. Well, I'm starting to think because each of these people, when they came in, there was about 40 people there and they were paying two bits each. Now that's about $10. This is the 1940s. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And $10 was a lot of money mm-hmm. in the 1940s. And I knew that if everybody got worked up, they would start demanding their money back. Mm-hmm. And so I, I cast around, I cast around, I'm trying to think what to do. And I say, ladies and gentlemen, if you will leave this tent, I would be more than happy to allow this nurse to give me a full physical examination and she can tell you whether or not I am exactly what I claim to be. Oh my goodness. Well, everybody just kind of looks at each other for a minute and I wait and everybody just keeps looking at each other and I say, well, go on now. And so they all start kind of filing out towards the front, back out to the bullpen where they held. And eventually, it's just me and big nurse down there. And I come up to the edge of the stage. And instead of lifting up my dress, I sit down on the edge of the stage and I say, now listen, honey, I have been a nurse too. I have worked at Mobile General Hospital. I have worked at the General Hospital in Forest County in Mississippi. I have worked at Charity Hospital in New Orleans. And I believe that professional courtesy requires that you go out there and tell those people that I'm exactly what I claim to be. (laughs) Well, big nurse, she just sort of goes, hmm. And she turns around and she starts walking towards the exit. And I'm thinking about that $10. So I slip underneath the edge of the curtain, underneath the skirts there, and I head around because I want to see what she's saying to him so that if I have to make myself scarce, I can. Mm. And I go around, and by the time I get around the edge of the tent and I'm peeking around there, there's Howard. He's up on the box, and this woman has crowded herself up there onto the box with him, and I can tell she really likes the attention. And she says, ladies and gentlemen, I have examined this Miss Leela completely and i can tell you as a nurse that in my entire life i have never seen a more perfectly formed set of both male and female genitalia and you know the rest of the day my tent was completely crowded apparently word spread all over the midway and you know that woman really, really helped me out. I could have made her part of the act. You know, I wonder why I didn't ever make somebody like her a part of the act. I mean, because nothing convinces people that you really are who you say you are, like a little expert testimony. Oh, oh my God. That was amazing. If you like what you just heard, follow, like, and subscribe to us on Facebook and YouTube. If you have some spare change and want to support a starving artist community, we have a Patreon page where there's incentives for donations, and we will love and appreciate you forever, never, never, never. All these links will be in the description box below. With that, we bid you adieu at Midnight Falafel. Until next time.